0: Good morning, everybody. Again, online and here in person. Great to see you. Now, uh, we've been thinking the last few weeks about what it means to be a disciple of Christ here in 21st century Britain, and it's it's not easy being a disciple of Christ. I don't think it's ever been easy to being a disciple of Christ, and it's not easy now. I'm not sure it's supposed to be. I think if we're finding it easy, that probably means we're not doing it properly. It's not easy to live in occupied territory, to be citizens of heaven, sent by God behind the lines, commissioned to be here living and telling a different story, making disciples, living in this world but pointing to another world. So we're looking at some of the issues that make this a challenge Issues we encounter as we do that. Issues where the life of God within us comes into tension with the values and behaviours of the world that is passing away. Issues where we have to make difficult decisions sometimes about what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And today we're looking at the internet. And of course there's lots in the Bible about the internet. Well, not so much, but bear with me. I remember back in the 90s, I hope most of you can remember the 90s, some of you not, lucky you, but I remember back in the 90s when I was working in London and um, we got a call from a, some, a, a potential client in America who was talking about the information superhighway and uh, my colleague and I looked at each other and sort of laughed and thought what are these mad people talking about? Anyway this was a sort of a, a, a way of describing, an early way of describing the internet, the information superhighway. Um, which we don't use anymore. Um, But it reminded me that actually back in in the days of the early church, there was an information superhighway. It was called the Roman Empire. And by the providence of God, the early church began at a time when it was incredibly easy to get information around the place. There were roads. There was the Pax Romana, the peace. You could move about. You could sail your ships around the Mediterranean. The then world. There was a worldwide web which meant that people like the Apostle Paul could move around spreading the gospel. There was a single language that most people understood. The language was Greek in the then known world. Not everything was good about the Roman Empire, to put it mildly. There was emperor worship, there was crucifixion, there were all kinds of horrible things. But there was this thing which made it easy for the gospel to move about and for the church to become established. Uh, move forward several centuries to the Protestant Reformation when Luther and Calvin and all those good people rediscovered the glory of the gospel. And and one of the glories they discovered was that that we could read the word of God for ourselves. It didn't need to be in a foreign language. We could read it for ourselves and we could understand it for ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it just so happened that that at that moment in time, there was a new technology that had been discovered and it was the printing press. Until that point, it was, it was fine to be told you could read the Bible if you wanted to, but you couldn't get a Bible. They were incredibly expensive. There were very few of them around. But now with the printing press, lots of people could have Bibles, and people came to read as a result. So new systems and technologies and worldwide webs are not things to be frightened of. They are things that can be used by God to spread the gospel for his glory. They're things that are neutral in themselves, but bring us opportunities, but also bring us dangers. They bring truths, but they also bring corruption. How then are we to live in the world of the World Wide Web? Well, I would like to suggest that the book of Daniel is a good place to begin. And if you got the church email, hopefully you had a quick look at the first few chapters of the prophet Daniel. Uh, If you have a Bible, or if you can get one on your phone, uh, please open it at Daniel. It's about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. He's one of the major prophets, so he comes towards the end of the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel relates to a period around 600 years before Christ when God's people were living in exile in Babylon. They sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept. And why did they weep? Because they remembered Zion. And they remembered Zion with feelings of guilt and despair and disorientation and confusion. How were they to live for God in enemy territory? How were they to worship when they had no temple? How were they to behave as a minority religious community? How were they to sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? And Daniel is an account of how some of them, a small group of them, Daniel and some of his friends, sought to work that out. The first part, the first few chapters of the book of Daniel are stories of some of their experiences, some of their lessons learned, some of their battles fought, some of their attitudes and victories working out how to be God's people in a new and difficult situation. So I hope you can see the parallel for us. We live in a world that is alien to God and the gospel. We live behind enemy lines, and we're charged with living here for God's glory, proclaiming the gospel. Fun fact about these first few chapters of Daniel. We like fun facts in our family. I don't know if you do. But these are the only chapters in the Old Testament that are not written in Hebrew. They're written in the language of the Babylonian Empire. They're written in Aramaic. Uh, So they stand out in that sense as being written in a different tongue, the tongue which these people were forced to speak in Babylon. The rest of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people. So I'm going to give us a very quick stop, bird's-eye tour, of the first few chapters of Daniel and to suggest some lessons that apply to the internet. So chapter one. Chapter one, to summarize, uh, Daniel and his friends end up in Babylon and Daniel, these are well-educated men and they're noted to be people of great talent. So they are taken into the, the king's court and when you lived in the king's court, you had to behave in a certain way and in particular, you had to eat the courtly food And Daniel and his friends decided that they didn't want to eat that food. And there was a discussion about this, and in the end it was agreed. They would be vegetarians. They would not eat the very rich food that the the people ate in the court of the king. And it turned out well. They turned out to be even more healthy as a result, and therefore they were allowed to do this. Food for the Jewish people was an identity marker. It It was one of the things God had given them, to to enable them to to live out a life of devotion to him. We won't get into all the background of that that we find in the Old Testament, but it was something that was very precious to them. Uh, The the Jewish faith was full of identity markers. You had a day of the week which you kept sacred for God. There were were various things that you 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 were told to do. And Daniel decided take a step back. When you're living in the court of the king in Babylon, you are not going to be able to live the kind of life you'd lived back in Israel. You are not going to be able to do all the things you wanted to do. You are not going to be able to go to the temple and worship. You are not going to be able to do a lot of the things. But Daniel decided to set a boundary in the area of food, and he said, I'm not going to go beyond this point. I am going to insist on keeping this identity marker I will not eat the food of the Babylonians which are contrary to what I believe God has commanded in his word he sets a boundary and boundaries the thing about boundaries is they often seem arbitrary you can't you always think well why couldn't I push the boundary in a few more inches and, and the thing about boundaries is you have to set them somewhere if you just keep pushing them they're no longer a boundary Daniel sets a boundary and we might say well why did he bother with food surely you know surely God would have, wouldn't have minded but Daniel decided this was the thing that he needed to do in verse 8 we read but Daniel resolved I love those words but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and and at the end of the chapter we find that he won respect as a result now what's the significance of all this for the internet? Well it's pretty obvious isn't it? We're living in another world when we go online and what are our boundaries? What are your boundaries when you go online? I'm not going to tell you what they should be this morning. I'm going to invite you to think what are my boundaries? Because if you don't have boundaries you're going to end up mixing my metaphors horribly, going down a slippery slope and watching all kinds of really horrible stuff and saying all kinds of horrible things and not being a faithful disciple of the Lord. Where are your boundaries going to be? Are you going to have a boundary around the amount of time that you spend on your screens? Are you going to leave your phone downstairs when you go to bed so that you don't, it's not the last thing you look at and the first thing you look at when you go to bed and wake up? are you going to turn off all those alerts? I got a new phone a few weeks ago. The first thing I do, they make it really hard, but the first thing I do is I spend half an hour turning off all the stupid alerts, that ping every time someone sends me a message or someone likes something I've posted. Why do I need to be pinged? Why do I need something to jump up on my screen and tell me something's happened? Why do I need to be distracted? Well, I, do, I, I need it because Facebook and Google and everyone else wants me to be back on my screen interacting and distracted from the rest of my life so I turn all that stuff off you don't have to do that but where are your boundaries what are the boundaries about the kind of stuff you look at and consume online what are your boundaries around the kind of groups you follow and the kind of people you interact with online personally you might disagree with, me with that I refuse to be involved with any kind of group with the word gossip or hate in the title I know if you live locally, you like to be involved in the group that says gossip in the title. But for me, why would I want to be in a group that says gossip in the title? Or why would I want to be in a political group that has the word hate in the title? I'm not making rules. I'm encouraging you to think about your boundaries. What are the things that dehumanize people? What are the things that distract you and that make it hard to live as a disciple of Christ? If so, make a hard boundary like Daniel did about food. Let's move on. Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to have to hurry up, aren't I? So in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And in those days, kings often had dreams, and they'd go to their, their wise men and they'd say interpret the dream. But this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he was, a, he, was a, he was not the kind of guy it was easy to work for. And he said, I not only want you to tell me what my dream means, I want you to tell me what my dream was. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you because you're obviously not as wise as you claim to be. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? And it threw all the wise men of the land into great dismay and Daniel was one of them. And what did Daniel do in this troublesome and unfair situation where he and his colleagues were under threat? Well, the interesting thing was he didn't really focus on the problem. He focused on God. In verse 19, we read, We read, During the night... The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And we get a beautiful prayer that Daniel prayed. Daniel turned his eyes upwards. He listened to the Lord. And the interesting thing is at the end of the chapter, the king praises God. Daniel praises God, and then the king ends up praising God in verse 47. If you go online, you are going to find yourself, well, sorry, let's take a step back. If, if, if you find yourself in life under pressure, uh, like Daniel was, angry, uh, overwhelmed, feeling down, needing inspiration, confused, where do you go? Where do you go? Daniel looked up. I keep saying this, don't I? Keep looking up. I know God's not literally up there, but keep looking up. Because the danger is the internet says, look at me. I've got all the answers. I'll make you feel better. I'll give you that hit when you, when you, when you post that thing and somebody likes it. I will, make, I will cheer you up. And of course, that's a false promise, isn't it? We, we know that actually the internet often makes people miserable. And if you rely on the internet to make yourself feel good, then it's definitely, like all idols, it's going to let you down. Look at God, not look at your screen. Take time out if you need to. Back to boundaries again. Could you bear to have a day or even a week when you don't go on social media? If you couldn't, what does that say about you? If you couldn't, what does that say about where you are looking for your help in times of trouble? I'm not making rules. I'm encouraging us to think for ourselves and not to be overwhelmed by the spirit of this age. Let's move quickly on. Daniel chapter 3, a famous story. And this time it's not Daniel, it's his three three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know the story, don't you? King Nebuchadnezzar, this mad king, says, I'm going to erect this massive great statue, and everyone's got to bow down to it. And if you don't bow down, I'm going to chuck you into the fiery furnace. And I love this story. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's defiance. In verse 12, uh, they are accused by the officials of the land. And they say about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they say they say these are, these are pay, people who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. What a great thing to be able to be said about a disciple of Christ. They pay no attention to you, powers and authorities. They're not interested in serving you and bowing down to your silly God and your silly image. That's a wonderful thing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were defiant. And in the end, once again, the king ends up praising God. Skip to verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you see the pattern starting to emerge? When everyone else is doing it, when everyone else is bowing down to the stupid idol, when the echo chamber is shouting at you, That you're the one that's in the minority and you feel you've just got to go along with the crowd what do you do you do what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did you don't get overwhelmed you stand firm on the basis of God's truth and you put his glory first I love what they say in verses 17 and 18 where they're hauled up before the king and they say these words King Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They, they proclaim truth. They proclaim truth. They say what they know to be true on the basis of what God has revealed to them. And then I love this even more, what they say in the next verse. But even if God doesn't, even if God decides he's not going to save us, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious <laughs> and he chucked them into the furnace and we know what happened. They were saved out of the furnace but they said I, whatever happens to us, we don't care. We are going to not bow down to, to the silly image and it's, it's interesting that the language that's used here in Daniel chapter 3 is it's language that's supposed to make us laugh you get these whole lists, repeated lists of, of officials who all kowtow. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisers, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial asem- asem- officials, and that's repeated. And then you get a whole lot of, of noisy instruments. The horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. Every time this happened, everyone has to bow down. It's, we're supposed to laugh at this ridiculous spectacle, but of course the people involved, they can't laugh. They're in terror. There's three people, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who are able to stand outside the whole situation. They're, not, they're, they're the ones that are laughing and they're the ones who are putting their lives on the line. Now what's all this got to do with the internet? Well, because the danger is that we feel overwhelmed by it. We think everyone else is doing this, everyone else is saying this. You know how social media works, don't you? You know how Google works. It works out, what, what you've, it looks at what you've looked at and then it keeps playing the same stuff back to you. It works out what the people in your community are looking at, and it keeps pushing that stuff at you. It's, it's commercial because it wants, to, it wants to show you what you think it thinks is going to make you look at the more adverts. That's, that's all they're doing. But it's, it's enslaving you to making you think that everyone else thinks in a certain way, and therefore I better think that way too. And we have to stand outside that, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Otherwise, we end up um, bowing down to false gods so much more we could say but let's move on let's do chapters four and five together so in chapter four Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and in chapter five his son Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall and in both cases Daniel is hauled in and say by the by both kings and said what on earth what on earth does this mean what on earth does this mean and Daniel ends up in both cases speaking truth to power I mean, these guys, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, these were not people you messed with. I, you, I mean, it, I'm trying to think of a modern-day example. I mean, the, it's like in North Korea or somewhere, and you're hauled in to see the, 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 the supreme leader. And you, you don't mess about. You, know, you go in on your knees, and you, you're very careful with what you say, and yet Daniel doesn't mess about. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 27 to um, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Nebuchadnezzar, you're doing wrong. You need to turn around. And then Belshazzar in chapter 5, verse 27, what does Daniel say to him? Well, it's actually too late for Belshazzar. The enemies are at the gates. You have been found wanting on the scales. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. One of the things Daniel said to him. Words of truth spoken to power. And yet, notice the pattern again. In both cases, at the end of the chapters, both kings praised God. Both kings acknowledged God. Actually, it was too late in Balthazar's case. Um, but he, he had already acknowledged Daniel's, um, Daniel's God and his, and his wisdom, and the point, the reference to the internet here is what do you what do you do when you see bad stuff online, when you see injustice, when you see things being said that should not be said, what do you do? Well, it's interesting. Firstly, Daniel had a reputation by this point, you see. Both kings called Daniel in. Um uh, is that a word from the Lord, Josie? Or was that your alert? No. No. Oh, it's not. It's your mum. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's move on. So, in, in chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 30, no, verses 7 to 8, um, when the. We get, again, we get this list of, of people who are sort of, sort of wise people, but Daniel wants us to realize they're not very wise people. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. The spirit of the holy gods is on him. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He recognized Daniel's wisdom and you get a similar quote in chapter 5 verse 11 from Baal Hazar which I won't repeat. Daniel had got Daniel had, had developed a relationship with these guys. And therefore, and therefore Daniel was able to speak into their situation. I think it's when we're on the internet it is right to speak truth but we have to be careful how we do it. I think it needs A sense of calling I think it needs a lot of prayer and I think it needs good mental health and perhaps support if you're going to go on the offensive and challenge stuff if you're going to start answering people back then you're going to be in the firing line yourself if you've tried it you'll know what happens you go into some online forum and you challenge what's being said you're going to get flack and you need to think that through in advance have I got the support to deal with that or is it going to get to me? I think it's better, personally, I think it's better to try and develop relationships with people than start. The risk is if you start responding to stuff online, you descend to their level. You end up in a tit for tat, and nobody's actually listening to you. Nobody listens online. They just want to hear their own views reinforced. That's how social media works. So I think it's better, like Daniel did to try and build a relationship with the people of power not just to start carping not just to respond not just to 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 respond to their tweets or their posts or whatever and criticize because actually what are you doing that maybe you're getting something off your chest but it's it's going to come back on you and are you prepared for that are you called for that if you're doing it to get it off your chest the danger is that's that's saying more about you and your needs than actually addressing the situation that you're dealing with. So I'd encourage caution about that. Not caution about speaking truth to power, but caution with how we do it and that it being done in a way in which there's a relationship rather than just a public spat. And I think as Christians, we have a duty to set an example on this. Public spats involving Christians is not a good witness. It doesn't make people... uh, It doesn't draw people towards Christ right finally Daniel chapter 6 the one we all know and love Daniel in the lion's den Uh, the king has another crazy idea it's a different king now it's Darius the Persian and Darius has another crazy idea a bit like the, the Nebuchadnezzar's crazy idea with the statue but he says everyone's got no one's allowed to pray to anyone else but me It actually wasn't his idea, it was the idea of his silly officials and they wanted to ingratiate themselves and they wanted to do Daniel down. It was a way of attacking Daniel's faith. But what did Daniel do in response to this commandment that you mustn't pray to anyone except the king? Verse 10 of chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Nothing changed. He carried on. He openly prayed three times a day to God. And we know what happened. He was chucked into the lion's den. God saved him from the lion's den. And what happened at the end of the chapter? The king gave glory to God. But the two things I want to draw attention to you in relation to our online lives. He prayed and he did it publicly. And, that, and that's because he had integrity. His whole life was of a piece. He didn't have a private life and a public life. He didn't have a home life and an online life. He didn't have a church life and another life. His whole life was one piece he had integrity. Do you have a single identity, or do you have multiple identities? The risk of when you go online is you end up with multiple identities. You have an identity that you're trying to portray online, which is not actually the real you. And, and we know this, don't we? You know, it's, a, it's often a very beautiful version of you with, with filters over your face to take away all your, your wrinkles and spots and everything. But, it's, but it's, deep, it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's about the, it's how we project who we are, our confidence, how many friends we've got. All these things, we're projecting something which isn't necessarily the, the real us. Are we open and clear about our faith when we're online? Would people know from our profile that we are above everything else a disciple of Jesus? If our relationship with Jesus is of supreme importance to us, is that clear online? Or do you stick to safer topics? Daniel led a life of integrity. He wasn't going to cover up his relationship with God, whatever the pressure that came upon him. And the end result was that the glory went to God. So let's try and draw some conclusions from all this. I think there's two basic challenges to us. Firstly, what are we looking at? Who are we looking at? and we need some boundaries around that. And we need to make sure that primarily we're looking up and not at our screens for our, for our truth. So what are we looking at? And secondly, what are we pointing at? What are we looking at, but secondly, what are we pointing at? A lot of people online are pointing at themselves. It's all about me, me, me. We're looking for attention, we're looking for affirmation we're looking for purpose or we're pointing at some cause or are we pointing beyond are we pointing to Jesus who we believe to be our only hope we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus and we're called to point to Jesus we're called to be captivated by the glory of God and and we're called to proclaim the glory of God it's simple really isn't it look in the right place and point to the right place but it's not easy it's not simple when you go online because you're constantly under pressure to do neither of those things so we need to be prayerful for ourselves and for one another the internet the internet for most of us is one of our front lines we talk a lot about our front lines in this church the place where we interact where we we butt up against people who have not yet come to know Jesus The place where we build relationships and seek to proclaim his love. And the internet is one of those places. It's a dangerous place, but it's a place of great opportunity. It's a strategic place. Are you willing to serve there? Are you called to serve there? Whatever your age, whatever your tech savviness, is that a place where you could serve and point to Jesus? And notice, as I've shown, how in all these examples we've seen in the life of Daniel, his friends won respect, and ultimately, they won honor for God. When you go online, when you log in, when you turn your phone on in the morning, hopefully not the first thing you do, but when you eventually get around to that, having prayed and all those other things, and talk to the people in your house, when you've done all those things, and you eventually get around to going on social media, what is your ultimate goal? Is it to bring glory and honor and praise to God? Finally, two words of encouragement. Firstly, let's keep going. Let's not be overwhelmed. Remember what I said at the start. The internet, the information superhighway is a place of great opportunity a place where we should be engaged for the glory of God. Therefore, says the writer of the Hebrews, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, he's been talking about a whole lot of Old Testament heroes, one of which is Daniel, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of of God. Consider him. Look at him. Don't be distracted by other stuff. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, um, six and a half years ago, I preached with a view to becoming a minister in this church. And I preached on those verses. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> I do. And I remember my final words, which are seared at the front of my brain. And I, I try to live up to these words. And, and, the, and you're supposed to hold me to account on this because you, you heard me saying this, some of you at least, if you were here six years ago. And, but, but I'm saying this to encourage you to hold me to account to it. But actually, I think these are words that all of us should be able to say. Not just ministers, not just Steph as she goes off to Brandon, but all of us. We're all to be ministers of gospel. Here are the words: If God, if sorry, if the church members call me to be a minister here, I make no claims to be a perfect minister. I make no promises always to be, do, and say what you want me to be, do, and say. But I make this commitment: that with God's strength, I will always hold out before you the vision of the Lord Jesus who is standing at the finishing line of the great race we're all running and is saying, keep going. And our job online, all of us, is to be holding out that vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to share news of our family. It's great to talk about your football team and your work and all the the, the holidays you've been on. That's great, And and I do that as well. And we do that to encourage each other and to share our family news. But above all... As disciples of Jesus, we are people who are to be pointing to him and holding out that vision. That's my first word of encouragement. And my second, and this really is the last thing I'm going to say. The first thing is that we we serve we worship a God of grace. And I want to say this particularly in relation to what I, the video I posted online with the bulletin this week about online porn. I, ha- I haven't wanted to talk about that this morning. But for those of you who know that you've looked at stuff online that you shouldn't have done, it, mi- it might have been porn, it might have been something else, but you've been sucked into an area of the internet, a dark place, and you know it's wrong, and you know it's affected your relationship with God and maybe with others remember that we worship a God of grace. There is always redemption. There is always a way back to God from the the dark paths of sin. We come to him with faith and we experience cleansing and wholeness and healing. And I encourage you this morning, if you need to experience God's grace in some area where you've gone online and that has drawn you away from God, then, then talk to God. Talk to me or somebody else who can pray with you and help you. Experience amended and restored relationship with God. Okay, we're going to stop. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing, well, we're going to hear a song which encourages us to focus our eyes on Jesus. Dear God, we thank you for the internet, for the opportunities it gives us and we pray for your help and your wisdom as we use it. We thank you for the amazing story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and for the way they stood out for you in an alien land. And we pray that you will help us to be people who stand out for you when we're online and everywhere else we go, this week and always. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.